You can talk about Brexit too, if you want. I was going to try and avoid talking about anything to do with Brexit. Hello, good evening, and welcome to Refigure. Is that how we are? start these days? I don't know, I just started. Hello, good evening, welcome to Nothing Much. <laughs> This is Refigure with Chris and Reefo. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech, and diversity. just been watching the crazy shenanigans going on in the House of Commons around all the various uh, votes, what they called indicative indicative votes on different options for Brexit and all the various craziness that's been going on around that, so we're a little bit hyper. Uh, but I'm the not. reason It's not my crack. Welcome to Refigure, I'm Chris. And I'm Reefer. You're quite hyper. No, it's because I had an oat cake. Oh, okay. Fair play. And uh, our main two topics this week are... We'll talk about the second series of The OA, which just showed up on Netflix, which we binged. So that was eight hours of Britt Marlin's brilliant sci-fi thing. And we're also going to do a cheese tasting that we pre-taped a couple of days ago. I went to uh, Faux-Mogerie, <laughs> the new vegan cheese deli in Brixton Market and I bought three different types of vegan cheese and we tried them. Just spoiler alert, there were only four cheeses worth eating. Paneer, mozzarella, feta and goat's cheese. So what you're saying is you like your cheese really white. Anything else is just yellow plastic. (laughs) Even the blue cheeses. Especially the blue cheeses, they're the devil. Okay, but we're not really going to be talking about real cheese, we're going to be talking about vegan cheese. With a Z. Yeah, but before we start, like, official stuff, are we going to talk about Jim Bob's gig on Saturday night? We went to see, well, I went to see Jim Bob, ex-frontman of Carter. I'm really sorry, we always talk about Carter at every opportunity. (laughs) Art of the Unstoppable Sex Machine is one of the fans from the 90s late 80s early 90s they were massive they had loads of top 10 hits and Jim Bob we talked about a few weeks ago because he wrote a new book another memoir he's also a best-selling author now of fiction but he did a solo show at Shepherd's Bush Empire he sold it out and it was amazing we had a really fun time last time I saw him was at the Haunt in Brighton and it was such a brilliant show and Chris played piano that time and it was low-key with Jim on acoustic guitar but it got us all singing along and I have always have nostalgia for when I was 17 used to go to the front of those gigs this time Chef's Wish Empire absolutely rammed gig I invited two guests with me who came over from Copenhagen Lawrence and Ulia our old friends from Brighton who now live in Copenhagen didn't quite know what to expect for Jim Bob and they were amazed to see Shepherd's Bush Empire rammed to the gills and I was super proud because it was the biggest show that Jim's ever done solo but he was also playing with a band called the Hood Rats with Christy <laughs> T and they're all my old old friends and one of them I'm married to and it was fantastic I had a great time I had a sit down upstairs at Shepherd's Bush Empire I had a great view there were bubbles at the end and if you want to see more footage of that you can see it on uh, my Insta which is at reefer 
Yeah, I did really enjoy it, and it was a a big thing for me. And as you know, I haven't been making music as Christy T since the end of twenty seventeen. And although I've done like one or two things like this before, like I played with Jim playing piano last year, this was definitely a whole new kettle of fish. Like kind of reuniting the hood rats, and we hadn't played together. We have all been in a room together because we are all still mates, but we hadn't played anything together since my final gig at the Lexington at the end of 2017. And also, me and Ben hadn't touched our instruments for over a year, for that whole time. Like, Ben hadn't played any drums. And the piano. That was a rude joke, I did. Yeah, that was very good. No, it was a good joke, pal. It was a good joke. Some people are laughing at home. They are. I think I'll write a blog entry about the whole process of doing it because it was really fabulous. Jim has a new memoir out, Jim Bob from Carter, In the Shadow of My Former Self. You talked about it, what, two weeks ago? It's really funny. I'm a bit of a dick in it, but I'm in it, so I don't care. And um, the gig was wonderful, really wonderful, lovely evening. I knew it was going to be fun and I knew we were going to rock it, but just the atmosphere because Jim's fans are just the best fans for any songwriter I've ever come across. I mean, they're amazing. And the fact that, so we did three really ballady, acoustic, quiet songs where I was playing piano and it was just the two of us. And all the way through them, there were people crowd surfing and going over the barrier. So you've got that weird juxtaposition of a crowd that's got quiet in order to listen to some quiet songs. But at the same time, there's these big booted 50-something blokes just sort of piling over the barrier, half of them with their in clothes sort off. sort of slow motion as well. It was really it was odd, odd wasn't it? Yeah. from upstairs. Yeah. And we really, the atmosphere is always really fun. When I was younger, I found it quite intimidating because of not being an older football-y sort of crowd person. But... Whenever you hear those songs, for me, I just sing along with everyone and it's a real fun night out. But that's because I don't have to, like, get down the front anymore to see the band. It was also awesome that towards the end of the gig in the encores, Les, who was the other guy in Carter Carter, were a punky duo. He was called Fruit Bat back then. He's called Les now. He came on stage and they sang a sort of slightly libertines-y song where they have a fight about why the band split up and we were rocking out behind them. In real life, they're still really great friends, so it was really lovely, but they, they do that kind of um, spoof fight song. It was just an amazing moment, and the crowd went absolutely ballistic, and standing behind them, you could just feel the wave of energy of, of proper love of a real audience, of grown and known these two performers and been in with their sort of career path for like 30 years, and it was just, it was really powerful, amazing. So, this week we binge-watched the second series of Netflix sci-fi mystery drama, The O.A. O.A. The O.A. The O.A. The O.A. The O.A. The O.A. Written by Britt Marling, who also stars in it, and co-starring Jason Isaacs. Hello to Jason Isaacs. And Kingsley Ben Adir, and lots of the characters from season one. But it starts off with a whole bunch of other people and it's super confusing from the start, but it's so addictive. Oh my God, and a whole hour, each episode is an hour long. I get a bit like restless and a bit scared and a bit overtired watching it, but it is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We're in a different different reality to the first one, but it's still connected. 
and we flash back to different characters who are all connected. Oh, it's really hard not to like give it all away, but you'll recognize some of the characters, but it starts off with a mystery with a private detective looking for a missing girl. And then it all gets really spooky and it's a spooky house and I don't know where to start. So it's like, it's set in San Francisco, which is very different from the first series, which was set in small town mid-America. And this time, there's a whole connection with the tech industry. So there's basically, the girl that's gone missing was playing some sort of video game, and it's her grandma that wants her found. And when the detective starts digging, he finds that some sort of super billionaire tech guy, kind of Elon Musk type chap, has developed this game specifically to try and draw kids in for a particular purpose. One of the problems with this season is it's got so many You've said twists. too much already. I've almost already said too much, but I think that's just episode one. And they're all new characters at that point, and it's only a little bit later on that the OA, or as she was known in season one, Prairie Johnson, but she's not known as that, she's not called that in season two, uh, appears. And I almost can't say anything else about it that would give too much, but it is an absolutely wonderfully written complex intelligent what i love about it is it is fucking batshit at times isn't it like properly bonkers some stuff happens in it that you are really like gasping that it happened properly like i can't believe it and yet at the same time the show makers have built or the writers have built the logic of their world that they've built so perfectly well that it all hangs together at any one moment. It still works within the fiction. They've structured it so beautifully that they can push at the edges of reality in an incredible way. Two filmmakers it makes me think of that I don't love, but I sometimes like, which is M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. I can't say his name. And also the Vashovskis, where they have these incredibly vivid, full of ideas, imaginations, except that neither of those two sets of filmmakers are a tenth as robust as this. This is better written, better directed and better acted. And it's much more robust sort of fantasy world, I think. And what is it? Eight episodes and it's each one's an hour long. And you're left gasping at the end of each one. So we tried binging it, but we couldn't. We got to like three episodes and we had to have a break. I like it because there is the psychological mental illness stuff in there, which is probably why I don't like it, which I find really spooky. And if you haven't seen it and you get triggered by the first series was triggering for a lot of people because that thing of like being buried or being abducted or all of that being trapped can be quite upsetting for some people i get upset by that i find it really scary that that whole because it's so realistic it's like these things really happen people do get kidnapped and disappear the second thing I really love about it, <laughs> so I kind of like watching it, I don't know why, I find myself really interested in this idea of reincarnation and multiple universes. It's very Buddhist, very Indian philosophy. I love all of that. Brad Pitt is in the same um, Indian school that I am in. And so he would have learned some of this stuff. And he's one of the producers of this series. There's all that mystical stuff that makes sense. Like in the first series, they 
the stuff about the afterlife, about having a guide and going to a sort of holding pen when you first die and then making a decision about whether or not you're going to go back. That stuff is like similar to Indian philosophy. And then the second series, they're talking about um, that the land itself holds memory. It holds um, the thoughts and feelings of the people that live there. And because it's San Francisco, this mythology is connected to some shamanic traditions. For me, there's quite a lot of David Lynch in this. Oh, yeah, that's well. a brilliant David Lynch and... Um, Not atmospherically, No, though, kind of. But in the spiritual I mean, heart of it. Yeah, kind of, because there's all these bizarre characters that pop up and you're trying to figure it out with your brain and you can't really. You can't. You just have to go with it. One of the things they did brilliantly at the end of the first series was you were left with the possibility that it, it hadn't been anything... Uh, beyond reality that she might have made up this story that she told people and then they leave us for three and a half years between the series to stew about whether it's a real thing or not real thing and then of course they come back and they have to give that away straight away really because that's you can't have a whole series without knowing because you've got the same lead character in it and so they give that away but they do it in such an amazing way where there is a very grounded down-to-earth detective who's the guy investigating the missing girl who is a skeptic and he he's not going to be like swayed by any mysticism but at the same time he's not like a stupid foil for them he's ultra competent and brave and kind and he's a hero in his own way and then you kind of see it from his point of view that it could still all be just crap it could still all be just stuff that's going on in the real world that he's trying to work his way through a crime and that is just brilliant as well so they're doing these movements and what it reminds me of, and it's so cleverly done, is ritual and dance in tribal cultures that for centuries, Western people have thought, oh, the hula dance in Hawaii or the Maori haka, you know, all of those are just sort of somebody's culture, but they don't realise that this is magic, this is real, this is like a power, this does stuff. And they can be quite scary movements. And that must have been what tribal dance, you know, in all cultures, it must have been like to Western explorers, let's call them that, pirates, colonisers. They would have been scared or they would have been, so they would have taken the piss out of it in order to weaken it. And then there's a huge twist at the end as well that you again think in a similar way to after the end of the first season, you think, how are they going to deal with that? the twist at the end of season two, we both literally swore out loud at the telly when it happened. It was unbelievable. And then you think, how on earth do they main then go and make season three and maintain that? I was wondering if they'd had to solve all those problems after they had the success of season one, but it turns out they've actually already yeah. structured five seasons and well, that's what they sold yeah. into Netflix. It feels like it's to they've totally mapped it out from the start because there yeah. could not be a hole in it. But it, that's why it's kind of exhausting to watch as well. Yeah. And you will dream about it and you'll think about it and you'll be trying to work out what all the different things are all about because they're allowed to have those feature film kind of budget and time to spend on elaborating on all these different um, puzzles. Yeah, we both hugely recommend this. So that's the OA, uh, created by Britt Marling and Zal Batmanglish. And it is on Netflix. And you can see both seasons if you haven't tried it out.
Excellent. What's next? It's nice to be so positive about something. So now we are going to roll tape on the pre-recorded bit about cheese. Because we had quite a lot of um, people wanting more biscuit reviews. Now I wrote down the cheese. So the first one is a smoked cheese ball and it's by the Naturally Vegan Food Company. Naturally Vegan Well, FC. I quite like it, but it just basically tastes like mild peanut butter with some paprika in it. But I'll have a bit more because it's nice and sweet as well. It's got almonds on the top of it. It looks quite pretty. Did you take a photo of it so I can put it on the Insta? Yeah, I have. I've taken a photo. Yeah, it's okay. It's... Mm. Oh, no! Cheese catastrophe already. These Can you give me a new oat cake? Oat cakes are too. Crumbly. I think the problem is the oat cake. Also, the oat cake's got its own flavour that's stronger than a cracker. It's like yeah, more nutty. If we were going to have vegan cheese, then we couldn't have cheese cracker because sometimes they put cheese. No, oh, you're in the in cracker. Yeah, that's true. It's a bit crumbly. Mm. So that doesn't taste nutty to me. It tastes quite cheesy to me. But the texture of it is like peanut butter because it's brown maybe as well. Mm. Don't generally get brown cheese. So I think it's more like a sort of... It's like a nutty spread. Yeah, the texture of it is not cheesy. I mean, I was complaining last night saying I don't really want to do a vegan cheese test because if I'm going to eat fake cheese, I might as well have dairy leaf. (laughs) All that stuff that comes out of a tube. Cheese is cheese is cheese, isn't it? No. Yeah. Cheese, loads of cheeses taste really different from each other. No, I meant, like, cheese, you can't have vegan cheese. These aren't really cheeses. It should be like champagne. It's like sparkling, um, nuts, bread, tofu nonsense. Someone mentioned that the fromagerie are being threatened with legal action by yeah. the cheese by board. the cheese board. <laughs> Take it to court by the cheese board. By the cheese authorities. So this one is a crummy summy cheddar and I think it might be their own in-house no. one. Oh my god, they can't call it cheddar. Mm. This is rank, honestly. It's quite cheesy though. It's not cheese. You don't like it? Well, okay. It does taste more like the texture of Wensleydale from it. And it's got a kind of slightly acidic-y, almost like lemony. Oh, I know what it is. It's almost like cheesecake. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's like lemon cheesecake. Alright, let's do the last one and that's it for me because it's going to give me a stomachache. I'm really sorry. I'm it's not the, your fault. I'm of the, if I was ever to go vegan or if I take vegan options, I try and go the route of so this... Indian cooking where you just use vegetables and spices. You don't pretend things are cheese. So this, cheese. so this last one is the most striking looking one. It's got these threads of dark green blue through it that make it look like a sort of very mouldy blue cheese and it's called spirulina blue and it's by kinder co and this is the most expensive one i think it's quite posh um okay it's not bad it's just like a sort of mousse <laughs> but yeah i'm not saying that cheese is good for you or anything and that we should all be eating cheese i'm just saying that the substitutes are not all that we should just eat vegetables and tofu and I think what we'll do is we should probably have a conversation about 
Can I just have Veganism some salute instead? Vegan substitutes. I mean, I'm not a fan of like veggie sausages and stuff like that particularly. I'm just saying, if you're going to be mm. vegan, it's like rice and dal. For me, this spirulina blue tastes, again, almost too fruity or kind of, it has a sort of sharp, slightly acidy flavour. Cheese is overly processed, normal cheese, overly processed. Unless it's like those fresh cheeses like mozzarella, <clears throat> feta, goat's cheese. They've got a certain, a certain thing about them which is good for you. Whereas these old aged cheeses are not good for you and fungi and mould is not good for my stomach certainly so I could probably eat these but they're very rich and they're also a bit like I don't see what the point of them are I like if if they're going to be like sort of pâtés they're not really cheeses but they're sort of pâtés aren't they um then then call it a pâté and have it have it on a bit of toast you seem to quite like this first one I like them all you, you like them all because I'm not really fine. They're fine. But I've got room to be eating new cheeses. Mm. With meat, I guess, because we've been used to eating fake meat for so many years now, it doesn't feel that strange. But this feels different. It it's, feels. I'm from the whole food philosophy. Bearing in mind, I'm also a complete addict of chocolate and biscuits and crap. You have to think of sugar like a, a drug, a recreational drug that you only take on the weekend, you only eat on the weekends, and everything else. Like, you've got to really love what you eat. So how's that real cheese? What's the real cheese? It's okay, but I'm saying, I like, cheese <laughs> itself like isn't... No, cheese in itself Can I have a bit is not cheddar? great. It's not a good... It's just not good for us. So, ultimately, it's not so much the fault of these people trying to make these fake cheeses. No, cheese is just it's shit. It's just that cheese is shit. Right. I'm going to eat this, take away this. I can't even bet. I can't even. What we're going to do with these three, I was wondering, we could offer them to Rosalie. Okay. Uh, Is that really stupid? No, she'll probably like it. I'm sorry you spent so much money on them. No, it's fun. I don't mind. It's I, I like well, that. You eat them for like eat them like a pate on toast and stuff. I suspect I like them even less than you do. Oh. I don't think I like them very much. I don't. I don't eat very much eat cheese very often. Eat your quest. Tastes a bit mouldy. Come on, let's watch something. Okay. If you want more stuff, tell us on our Instagram, which is Refigure UK, or you can communicate via Facebook. Just Refigure Pod. Facebook.com slash refigurepod. Yeah, please do all the usual things we could do with your love. We are trying to sort of build the show and it's quite hard to build a show when you just do it in your kitchen table and you don't have that much time to devote to marketing or anything like that. So if you're enjoying it, please tell your friends, give us a nice review, give us a rating, all that crap. Maybe um, we should get some famous people on our show. That usually boosts numbers, isn't I it? Just That's what people just do interviews. So boring. Well, that's why we shouldn't, because just people do interviews and that's what their show is. This isn't a... Yeah. We, we should... What we need to do is become famous ourselves for doing this podcast. Okay. What are you reading for? 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 What are you reading, Refar? So, I have got in my hands a book called Dancing at the Edge... Competence, Culture and Organisation in the 21st Century. It's non-fiction, clearly, um, 
by um, Maureen O'Hara and Graham Lester. It's a publication from the International Futures Forum that came out in 2012. Sorry, it's a bit old, but it's new to me. And it's a reflection, really, on Carl Rogers, a psychologist, um, from his 1980 essay, The World of Tomorrow and the Person of Tomorrow. And he was talking about how we need to develop a capacity to understand this paradigm shift. So these two, O'Hara and Lester, have done a load of research about the most successful cultural and political and business leaders. They call them competencies, but like what skills they need to best to help, quote, help best navigate the blooming, buzzing confusion of the 21st century. And it's basically a leadership book. So I'm finding it quite um, an easy read. They try and be um, very accessible in the way that they write things. It's not um, uh, supposed to be too academic. Sounds great. Yeah, man. I'll read it after you. Yeah, it looks like your sort of book. (laughs) Cultural leadership, mate. It's the way forward. Yes, what are you reading for, Chris? I'm reading, coincidentally, a novel that was recommended to me by Jim Bob. So thanks, Jim, for this. It's Gary Steingart, the American satirist. His latest novel is called Lake Success. So it's the story of a hedge fund manager called Barry who... Um, no, it isn't. It is. It's a story. <laughs> I'm not, I know I always say Barry for everything, but it is a bloke called Barry. He's a hedge fund manager. So he's like the super rich. He manages like two, two and a half billion in assets. And basically it's about breaking apart and his running away from his situation. It's compassionate but it's absolutely brutal on the state of modern America and the dual economy and the difference between you know the lives of the super rich of the 0.1% and the lives of everyone else in the United States and what's happening there and I'm about maybe uh, just under halfway through it's very funny but it's also it's so biting and it really captures that desperation everyone's desperate he's desperate even though he's super rich and his family and his friends are desperate, but everyone he meets is like, because he runs away on a greyhound bus, and you immediately get the kind of um, the cultural. He's like got culture shock, literally just going down to the ground floor and going to a bus station in his own city. That's culture shock, you know. Anyway, so it's really good. Um, Gary Steingart, Lake Success, and uh, thanks Jim for the recommend. And that's this week's uh, refigure. Yay! Please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Shall we stop now? Yeah, man. Um, thanks so much for listening. Do all the things. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Talk to you next week. Don't fly up.